0: From the EPR Creations studio, this is Jason Staples, bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast with Doc Staples. Whew. All right. Well, uh, this is the Hot Takes podcast after Florida State holds on against rival Florida 24-15. to 15. And you know what? Any win over a rival, as we talked about after the Miami game, any win over a rival is a beautiful thing. It just is. And I'm going to say this right now, up front. 12-0 regular season, wins over, over your rivals. This is a successful season, regardless of what happens from here. Florida State has had a successful football season, regardless of what happens from here. Now, obviously you hope that they're going to be in position to finish out this season with... At least one, maybe more, wins than that. But hats off to Mike Norvell and that entire staff and every player, every support staffer, every trainer, every strength and conditioning coach for the job that they've done this year. Uh, that That's one of my first reactions to this game. Is, look, this is a banged up football team. This is a football team that has lost a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback. It's a team that you know has been a mash unit on the offensive line most of the season. It's a team that has had you know a a variety of bumps and bruises. I think beyond the norm. Look, I, I because I get to cover more than one team, I get to I get a little bit more than 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 most in terms of a sense of what's normal and what's not because I'm covering two teams very closely. Uh, And obviously there are national people who cover, you know, cover a lot of teams, but they're not normally covering more than one team closely or watching one team really closely, even when they're covering nationally. Now there are a few exceptions to that. And I respect those folks because they're working hard, but FSU has been banged up they've gone through a difficult schedule. And I think a more difficult schedule than is appreciated at this point. Because when you actually look at Florida State's schedule, they happened to play several teams at difficult spots. So that was a very physical game to start the year against LSU, for example. And that's an LSU team that basically nobody else got to play with a healthy wingo which it turns out Wingo was much better than uh, than Mason Smith this year with a healthy Wingo with a, with all their defensive backs and everything else. in you know, basically after the first month of the season, LSU was down to third and fourth string in the in the thir- in the secondary. They couldn't stop anybody. Florida State played a, a better LSU team than anybody else did. Then that Boston College team was a physical football team up front. Clemson, a very physical football team and a very physical game. Virginia Tech, not a not a really good team, but better than I think we all appreciated at that point once they'd switched to that that quarterback and again a physical team. Duke, a physical football team. And you know, they're gonna come after you on both li- both lines of scrimmage. Pittsburgh, not a good team, but a physical one. Miami. I mean, for an FCS team, they really do play, you know, they play physical. And then Florida. So that's a lot of teams on this schedule. I think an unusual number of teams on your schedule that are line of scrimmage teams that are coming in and they want to bully you on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, it's a. You look at you know these Big Ten schedules and all of that, and those are teams that want to you know be line of scrimmage teams and bully you on the line of scrimmage and all that, all, all you want. But they don't have any players. <laughs> I mean, you look at the schedule that Ohio State and Michigan played this year, and if you traded them out for Florida State's schedule, it's a completely different year. I mean, look, Michigan's a really good football team. Ohio State's a really good football team. I'm not sure either one beats LSU in the opener just because of the weapons situation and needing to score points. Look, this has been a really, really good Florida State team. And I want to get that out of the way just up front, because coming in and doing this with your backup quarterback, with a banged-up offensive line that doesn't have, what, three of the guys that you would want to start in their various spots? Probably, you'd probably, if you had your druthers, you'd probably have four guys in different spots on the offensive line than what you started today. Still went out and won the football game. And yeah, so let's go ahead and get to actual discussion of the game itself. So 24 to 15, obviously a game that felt close on edge all game going into the, going into the fourth quarter, Florida State's down a point and then finished with a 10, 10, 0 fourth quarter. So, on the one hand, a really close game. And you look at the overall yardage and everything else. Florida State, 224 total yards. Florida, 232. And yards per play, 3.9 apiece. So, in a lot of ways, this was a... This was a, a coin flip type game. This was a very close football game. However... When it came down to it, this game actually could have been very, very different. I think this I think all of this game broke Florida's way in exactly the ways that it needed to for Florida to have to have the best chance to win this game. I was getting I got a text from somebody at one point that said, man, this game is going exactly how you said it would have to go for Florida to win. Yep. And Florida State still managed to come out and win that football game. Got to give them credit. But end of the day, this, this game could have gone, you take some of those breaks early away and go a, a different way, and this game looks very different. This game could have gotten away from Florida early. But really, the, the things that changed this game in the first half were the... And you guys know, those of you who've listened to this show for a long time know I very rarely bring up officiating. Because as a rule, officiating is is, is not, you know, th- complaining about officiating is a loser's tactic. Because, you know, officials are going to miss calls. Most of the time, stuff evens out. And, you know, that is what it is. You, you just, and even, you know, missed calls are usually close. And then you have ones like the, the personal foul call on Akeem Dent on a play that you get a sack, essentially. You get a a nice hard hit on a sack, and then you get a personal foul call because when he's coming in, he's doing what he's coached to do and making sure he swipes at the football with a hand up, coming down to make sure that he can't throw the ball while he's being tackled. Good fundamentals, and you happen to graze a little bit of the face mask as you're coming down with no real force, and that gets called. And I can guarantee you that's what what the call was. It's a bad call, and that takes you from a medium field goal to the next play being a touchdown. That game radically changes right there because you get that you get that sack, and the defense is starting to feel a little bit of momentum. The defense is starting to feel pretty good. You get off the field with with three. Maybe they missed the field goal. I mean, they were a little inconsistent kicking the ball. But either way, you get get out of there three nothing, no problem. No harm done, really. You're in, you're in decent shape. And then the other one, the other play early that completely changed this. Was less of a officiating thing, but they were about a, a half a second off in terms of when that ball needed to be snapped for that fake punt, which hit. They had it just right. They had it perfect. They call that fake punt. You get that fake punt. All of a sudden, now you're on. You're down around the forty yard line. You've crossed the fifty. You're in position to now start to be able to be a little bit more aggressive offensively, and in position to take control of that football game. Instead, now you got to punt it, and then you end up getting it the next drive after they sort of kick it around a little bit when they when you gave them great field position because. You gave it to them on the forty-yard line on uh, you know the the in plus territory. They're able to leverage that into into more points, and now all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball. It's ten nothing. It's a completely different game. You take those two plays away in the first half. One's just a bad call, and there's nothing really you can do about that. The other one. <laughs> I don't I don't exactly know why the play call or the play clock was such an issue in this game. I mean, I don't know. if Maybe they couldn't f- couldn't see them or couldn't figure out where they were. I mean, as a rule, that's the first thing you do when you go to a go to a stadium. When you you know you're working with your guys who are going to be in charge of that stuff, you say, okay, there's the play clock there, there's the play clock there. Make sure you're looking. But that was a serious problem today. We'll get to that in a moment on the offensive side. But the other thing is. That clock hit zero right as the ball was going to be snapped. Normally, there's just a tiny split second of grace period there when the ball s- snapped as the, as the play clock hits zero. That would have been excusable to fall within that grace period. It was not well after the, the clock had hit zero. It's actually a little surprise it got called, especially since Florida had a couple in this game that hit zero right as the ball was being snapped and it didn't get called. So there's a really marginal one, really close. I don't have a problem with the call, but it didn't help. And again, if you snap it a second earlier, you don't, you don't have to deal with it at all. And you still get that first down. Those two, those two plays change. And this entire game takes on a different complexion because the real issue in this game early on was field position as much as anything. It was a combination of, of, Two things, the defense had trouble getting off the field on third down in the first half. So you look at the first half, third down conversions, Florida was five of six in the first quarter, 83% on third down conversions. They were able to leverage some some of that for what they, they ran 16 times in the first half and they had 22 total or 23 total plays in the first half. Florida State had three. Well, or yeah, three, three plays. I'm looking at that now. So, and so much of that was just again, Florida State kept forcing third downs. They were actually doing a pretty good job of of stopping the run, limiting the run on first down, getting into decent leverage. They got a couple third and longs in there, and Florida was able to convert them. And I got to say, hats off to Max uh, Max Brown, who played pretty well in this game against a really good pass defense couple of those third downs, especially early, he made some really good throws. And FSU just didn't get off the field early in the game. And the, the consequence of that was, one, the offense didn't see enough plays to get comfortable. And the other consequence is that when they did get the ball, they had atrocious field position in the first half. I'm not, I, I'm not seeing it here, but it, but in terms of the overall field position, in in the game, it started to even out a little bit, but in the first half, it was not close. The first half, Florida was getting it on you know at or around the the fifty yard line sometimes on Florida State's side, and Florida State was getting it you know inside the five, inside the ten yard line. And you know this was a game where, in all honesty, the the comp for this game was twenty eleven the twenty eleven game. you all remember that early in Jimbo Fisher's career as a as the head coach at Florida state. They played a game against the Florida team that they knew couldn't score on them. (laughs) And so that game turned into a, well, you know, just don't turn it over. Don't do anything stupid. And you'll remember FSU got the, the legendary shutout on that. Just make sure you tell Florida fans that the 2011 game was a shutout. It's always fun. But, uh, that was a game where Florida state knew going into that game that Florida couldn't score on them enough that if, as long as they didn't turn it over, they'd win the football game. And this was that game too, for Florida State. This was, Mike Norvell and the staff knew, look, as long as you don't let them have a bunch of chunk plays in the running game, and they gave up a couple of them early, didn't really after after halftime, they locked that down after halftime, this team can't score on you. This team's not going to threaten you downfield. They can't throw the football with a bunch of consistency. And if they try, then ultimately they're going to start throwing interceptions of the young quarterback against your secondary. And you got a chance to, you got a chance to win this one. If you play conservative, you're you're probably going to win this one just on the strength of your freaks, as long as you don't turn it over and do anything stupid. So what do you do? Well, when you get the ball backed up into inside your, your 20 yard line or inside your 10 or your five, You try to play conservative football. You try to just punt it out of there and give yourself a chance. Limit them to field goals if they keep getting great field position, that sort of thing. And then wait until you get a little bit better leverage. And that's what they did. Thing is, once they got better leverage, once they got better field position, that's when they started to attack. That's when they started to get a little bit more aggressive. And that didn't really happen until the second half. Well, final drive of the first half, they got a little bit better field position and they got a couple runs that hit at that point and then they were able to they were able to start getting Rodemaker in situations where he was going to be more comfortable but they did not want to ask him to do stuff with the, in the shadow of the goalposts you know setting up in in pass concepts that would ask him to do a lot because they knew that the one thing that could beat them in this game is if he turned it over a bunch they also knew that as long as they played conservative Florida's probably not going to score enough points to give them, give them enough of a threat. And so now you, you put those two things together and you say, okay, well just keep biding our time. Keep biding our time. Don't be stupid. Stick with the game plan, run the football, keep doing the things you need to do. And then eventually it's going to pop. And that's what happened. And, you know, I was getting texts around halftime saying they got to get, they got to get Benson out of there. They got to get another back in there. And you know, they got another person texted in. They got to, three passes for every one run. They got to start throwing the football. This is just not going to work. You know, we're going to get blown out, this sort of thing. And my response was, no, 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 no. I disagree. First of all, there was, there were a couple runs. There was space on a couple runs in the first half where Benson just missed the spot, just missed the crease. And then there were a couple that he did hit where they came close to to busting. You go, OK, you look at that and you're like, all right, well, what we saw on tape, that's still probably going to be there in the second half because it was there, just didn't have enough plays to, to have opportunities to have trials to hit it in the first half. But second half. Just got to get enough opportunities, get enough carries to him that a couple of them are going to hit and you know it's going to happen. You just got to get there. You got to be patient. And that's the thing that as much as anything else in this game, I have so much respect about Mike Norvell. And the way that that coaching staff coached this game, they came into this game with a specific plan of what they knew they needed. And even though they went, they they went down 10 points, even though they went into the half down and generally losing the statistical battle, you look at the half half halftime numbers. FSU had 85 total yards. Florida had 184 FSU averaged 3.7 yards per play. Florida averaged five. A lot of staffs would would panic there. A lot of staffs. A lot of staffs would look at that and have the same reaction that a lot of people on the internet did. Mike Norvell and that staff looked at it. They looked at what had actually been happening on the field and they said, it's all right. Stick with the plan. A little bit better field position. Get a couple stops on third down. Just stay with what you came in to do. And eventually, a couple of these are going to hit. Eventually, you're going to hit that crease on outside zone. Eventually, you're going to hit a duo, and and Benson's going to be able to make that cut and you know potentially score. You're going to hit something on counter. You're you just got to keep doing it, keep putting yourself in those positions, and give Tate Rodemaker some opportunities to make some throws. And you can see, by the way, that Tate is by far most comfortable with Johnny Wilson of all the guys that that are running routes for him you keep setting him up with with comfortable throws just make sure you do that you're going to get some opportunities and your freaks are eventually going to going to do their thing and they did and ultimately third quarter florida state averaged 6.2 yards per play florida 4.5 fourth quarter florida state averaged 2.8 starting to you know slow down a little bit there especially at the end florida minus 1.7 yards per play in the fourth quarter See, they, they figured it out on defense. They figured out what they needed to do. And as for the defense, well, once they, once they started handling the running game a little bit, they got some things, they started making some of those tackles. Linebackers are getting lost a little bit at times in the first half with some of the motion, all the eye candy. They do a lot of stuff, that's sophisticated stuff in the running game. And with a quarterback who can move as well, it's complicated. And FSU was in bigger personnel up front and at linebacker, you know, three backers and all of this, they don't do that all that much. Florida, Florida's going big. They're going to force you to do what other teams don't very often. And FSU had some, you know, hiccups there, especially in the first half. Second half, they got that stuff cleaned up. They took care of that. And then what really happened is Florida state was able to get, was able to score some points offensively. The offense scored some points. And then what they knew would happen as soon as they got a lead and Florida couldn't just sit on it and and basically play keep away and try to shorten this game, they knew that that they couldn't do that anymore and they were going to have to play more true offense. FSU knew that as soon as Florida started having to do that, then everything would change because then you're going to be able to tee off on the quarterback he's going to potentially turn it over and the moment fsu got up by by enough that 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 uf had to start throwing it what happened final drive interception and again that's why i'm saying in the first half those couple plays in the first half happen differently you you get that stop and they only kick a field goal there you get the the field goal the fake field or the fake uh, punt there and all of a sudden you're in a different position. You're playing from ahead there. The defense at that point, I think chokes Florida out early. And I think this game might be uncompetitive by third quarter. Hats off to Florida. I mean, I thought they had a great plan. Both sides of the ball. They maximized what they were able to do given the players that they have, given some of the limitations that they have in terms of roster. And yeah, I mean, hats off to, to them for taking advantage of a lot of those things. But again, Once things got there, once once FSU got ahead and Florida knew that they had to actually score to win this game, things changed up front. They couldn't block them. They could not block Florida State up front. And especially Peyton and Verse. And Verse, by the way, to me, is the player of this game. Benson, three touchdowns. He's the offensive player of the game. The overall player of the game to me in this game is Jared Verse. If you watch this game, he absolutely wrecked florida's defense or florida's offensive front over and over and over again first in the in the running game and he did this multiple times in key situations in the first half through the third quarter and then once it came time to pass to actually be turned loose as a pass rusher <laughs> we saw at the end what he's capable of doing and that was a good reminder cuz some people might have been watching verse this year and been saying, you know, he just doesn't seem as explosive as last year. He's not making as many plays as he did last year. You know what? What's happening? Maybe he's gotten too heavy or whatever. No. The difference is that Florida State's asked a lot of him this year in the running game. He's been a guy that's been responsible for a lot of inside gaps. So he's been responsible for the B gap a lot between the tackle and the guard. And there's been a lot of times where he's been playing a Jimmy technique where he basically has to long arm the offensive tackle, keep his outside arm free for contain to take care of that C gap while peeking into the backfield a little bit. And if it is a B gap run there, he's got to cross the face of the guy who's blocking him and crash in and take that B gap and then either bounce the back or make the tackle there. He's taking two gaps a lot in the running game. And if he's not taking two gaps, a lot of times he's slanting into that B gap because they play a lot of light boxes. And normally Patrick Payton is not going to be the guy that they're going to have do some of that stuff as much. He's more of a true pass rusher. Now, in this one, they used some of Fisk on the edge to do some of that stuff, which I thought was a very good decision in this game. Gives you a third really big guy up front to cause some problems in the running game. And, and he did. That was smart. But verse, when you're asking him to do that, then he has to, so he has to stop the run first. And only after it's clear that it's a pass, is he actually going to downshift and then get into pass rush. So it's run, 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 peak, peak. Okay, now pass rush. You're not going to get a bunch of sacks that way. But then every so often... He's turned loose as the designated pass rusher. And when he's the DPR, you know, (laughs) we saw it tonight. You saw when he got that opportunity, he took a 365 pound offensive tackle and bowled him into his own quarterback and sacked the quarterback with the offensive tackle. That's a big, powerful offensive tackle that verse just threw around like a rag doll. And then the next play went right, right around him. And pressured him again. I mean, yeah. That guy's really, really good. And he was a major difference maker in this game. And when it came down to it, FSU knew that Florida couldn't block their front. Not all, not for four quarters. And they knew that Florida had a limited number of points that they could score that were not off of, you know, special teams errors or, uh, or turnovers. And that it would take a great performance from a first first-time starter at quarterback for Florida to have a chance at more than that. They knew that, and that's how they played this game. And that was the right call. So, and result of that was a tighter game than it than it seemed like it needed to be. And again, there were some opportunities missed. I mean, Keon Coleman dropping dropping that touchdown yeah, it, he doesn't do that very often, right? That's a guy that comes down with that catch nine times out of ten. You catch that one, and this and this game's out of reach even faster. So, team, this was an opportunity to put this. They had opportunities to put Florida away earlier, and they just didn't. Now, moving forward, well, first of all, stepping backwards, I was I was a guest on another show. Uh, this week, and uh, after doing some other other coverage, I was asked from the Florida State side, which was the scarier game, Florida or Louisville? And my response was Florida, because I, I said, look, I think Johnson and ETN, especially ETN, are really dynamic players. And FSU has given up a decent number of longer runs on the season, decent number of chunk plays in the running game, and those guys are capable of ripping off chunk plays. And it's also a game in the hostile environment in the swamp against a quarterback who's shown the ability to, to make some tight window throws, you know, inexperienced, you expect to get some turnovers or something like that from him, but still, if he plays out of his head, has enough talent to, to cause you problems and a mobile guy at that, and then enough guys on defense to potentially force a couple turnovers from your inexperienced quarterback Maybe something happens on special teams, and in that environment, maybe things get away from you. Well, you got through what I think what I thought of as maybe the scarier game on that. Louisville, despite their loss to Kentucky today, still a scary game. Mostly because you're dealing with a Jeff Brom coach team, and Brom has had a whole lot of success being a giant killer at Purdue and also at, at uh, Louisville. I mean, ask Notre Dame this year. So you know that he's going to give you the absolute best schematic. He's going to give his team the best schematic opportunity to win. He's gonna he's gonna give you the best shot they've got, and they've got some players. They've got a couple, you know, one dynamic wide receiver, one dynamic running back, a quarterback who's been pretty good, great play caller and, and scheme scheme guy, and their defense is really aggressive and a defensive line that creates a lot of pressure. So. Definitely a game you have to be concerned about. Not a situation where you go in and thinking, okay, look, odds are this team can't score more than 14 points or so on offense. So it's just a matter of don't turn it over. So you probably can't come in with the same degree of conservative game plan that you had for this one. But I think you also feel like you can move it on them maybe a little bit more reliably. And and with this start under under Rodemaker's belt and Glenn getting a couple reps in there, you feel maybe a little bit better about that going in into the next one as well. So yeah, bottom line is you've made it through the regular season, 12 and zero, with an opportunity to earn your way into the college football playoff. Feel pretty good about that. Have to feel pretty good about that. And um, now it's just a matter of getting in the cold tub and preparing for what will be another physical game. I mean, Louisville's another physical football team, so yeah. Before I ramble on for the rest of the night, we'll go ahead and wrap there. Talk again later this week, but uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of good stuff in this one. And like I said, this is a good team win and a good coaching win for Mike Norvell and that staff. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate, in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this.